Welcome to PsychUp, where we discuss psychology tips and tricks based on scientific methods and research. For episode 59, we'll be diving deeper into the topic of compassion fatigue with psychologist Mitch to explore the question, is there such thing as too much compassion? So, Mitch, what is compassion overload? Hi, Montana. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so compassion overload or compassion fatigue can really be appreciated as a state of, you know, emotional physical and psychological exhaustion, right? Which stems from caring for those people who are also going through stress or trauma. You know, at some stage, you know, you're in some kind of caring capacity, you're giving a lot of empathy, you're giving a lot of compassion. At some stage, that empathy runs out. It's not some kind of finite resource that we have. You can use it up. And for those who are battling compassion fatigue, you know, people particularly in the caring professions like nursing or medicine or emergency services, Um, or even people who are caring for a loved one who's going through some kind of terminal illness and has been sick for quite some time, there can really be that pressure to keep caring um, when you are running on fumes or when you really don't have much empathy left. So I guess imagine, you know, imagine someone who's caring for a family member who has a terminal illness like cancer and that prognosis has been, you know, it's been deteriorating, but they're still very much involved in that caring role. You can see how how that would take a toll on someone after a while and their ability to care. Um, A lot of the research that was done, like a lot of the early research into compassion fatigue as well, was really centered around the helping professions like emergency services and medicine. But what we really now know is that anyone that's involved in some kind of caring role for someone who's going through trauma or stress can actually develop compassion fatigue. Um, It's also a lot of the time confused quite easily with burnout. That's because a lot of the symptoms associated with burnout and compassion fatigue actually overlap, but they are actually two different concepts. So for people with compassion fatigue, it can develop quite quickly. It doesn't have to develop over a long period of time, whereas with burnout, it's more likely to develop over a long period of, you know, being worn down. Also, we find that burnout might be a little bit more treatment resistant as opposed to compassion fatigue. And really with burnout, there's a massive emphasis on a sort of loss of a sense of personal accomplishment in the work that you're doing, whereas that might not be as profound or pronounced, I suppose, as in compassion fatigue. Yeah. And how might an excessively compassionate individual identify that their compassion is posing a threat to their health? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think probably the best way to answer that sort of question is to think about how one's thinking, feeling and behaving may change within the context of caring for someone experiencing stress or trauma. Um, You know, is there a sense of exhaustion or fatigue which lingers and just does not seem to go away on its own? Uh, Perhaps the one you are caring for tells you something quite emotionally charged that doesn't quite get a response from you in the way it might have been in the past. You know, are you sort of losing your cool and being set off by things that the old you wouldn't even think twice about? You know, are you getting quite triggered quite easily? Is there like a difficulty falling asleep or maintaining sleep? You know, are you waking up in the middle of the night and ruminating about the kind of care that you need to give? To that person the following day, how on earth are you going to cope? Are you perhaps withdrawing socially, right? If your partner goes to you for emotional support, does it feel more like work? You know, are you even present in that moment? Uh, Do you need more alcohol or drugs to cope with those intrusive thoughts about needing to go back to work and caring for other people? Um, And of course, when you're in the thick of it and you've been caring for, you know, people or someone going through some kind of stress or trauma for some time, it's difficult to realize that you aren't quite the same person that you used to be you can really get you can really normalize that kind of state for yourself Um, and this is a real challenge and often people will access psychological support 
quite late and usually at the request of a partner who's noticed something wrong or like a friend who's noticed that you've changed. And if you are listening to this podcast and you work in some caring capacity for those in distress, uh, it could be a good idea to just check in with family or friends um, who you feel comfortable with, people that you feel you could confide in. You know, ask them questions like, am I different? Have you noticed any kind of changes? Um, if you're someone that journals, this could also be really helpful. You know, are you able to look over your you know, your entries, has there been some kind of change in the way you think, feel or behave, you know, over the course of your caring? And then in a professional setting, we also have these psychological instruments, which allow you to actually measure your compassion fatigue and sort of map out where you stand relative to people who are known to have compassion fatigue, as opposed to people who are known not to have compassion fatigue, um, instruments like the professional quality of life scale. For our last episode, we discussed how someone might refine their compassion once it's been fatigued. And in your experience, what strategies would you advise an individual to engage with to prevent reaching the compassion fatigue stage? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I really like to think about um, this lovely little analogy, the aeroplane oxygen analogy. So the idea is that when you're on an aeroplane and you hit some turbulence and those oxygen masks come down, you know, the flight crew tell you to put your own mask on first before you start helping other people. And really the idea is that if you've got a steady flow of oxygen, you can help more people over a longer period of time. Um, and I feel like the same goes with caring. You know, there's other things that we can do as well. We can share the load with family or colleagues. You know, do you have to take on all that pressure yourself or can you, can you, you know, spread out some of that pressure? Also kind of become comfortable in being a helper rather than a saver or a rescuer. You know, empower people to do their own problem solving rather than just trying to give people the solutions and then get frustrated with yourself or them when they don't accept them. You've got to get comfortable in saying no to other people, not in like a disrespectful sense, but in more of an assertive sense. You know, you explain to the person why you're saying no. You try to take some of their perspective on, you know, and understand why they might be a bit upset with you saying no, but you need to get comfortable in saying no, getting comfortable in setting boundaries. You know, let's say, for example, you're caring for a family member who is texting you incessantly. It might be a good idea to just limit yourself to responding to those texts once per day in this particular window. You know, consult a mental health professional if you have to or a close family uh, member or friend who's just a good listener. Just to vent a little bit and release some of that pressure. Um, you know, a mental health worker might also help you challenge your thinking about the situation which could be impacting your self-worth and just keeping you stuck. Make sure you're scheduling time out, you know, um, outside of work, outside of caring for hobbies, interests, meditation, relaxation, exercise, whatever isn't linked to that kind of caring role. And if you need to take some time out of that caring role, you know, take some leave if you have to, but just be careful of that becoming confused with avoidance. You don't want to sort of use avoidance as a coping mechanism. And all these strategies are really important, not just recovering from compassion fatigue, but also when you're in that kind of role, there's they're all still relevant. And for my final question, we come back to the subject of, is there such thing as too much compassion? What do you have to answer for this question? Um, yeah, I think there is such a thing as too much compassion or at least too much caring. Um, and a lot of people who have struggled with compassion fatigue could attest to this. I think we should have compassion for others, but we should have a lot more compassion for ourselves. Uh, you shouldn't have to sort of destroy yourself, your physical health, your mental health, in the process of caring for another person, um, no matter who that person is. Great. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Psych Up. Thank you for sharing your insight, Mitch, and thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for more psychology tips and tricks.
See you next time. Oh, oh, oh.